Now, we must all fear evil men. But there is another kind of evil which we must fear most. And that is the indifference of good men. This is the St. Long Chinus's Baptism Podcast Channel. This is episode 45, which is entitled Desperate Times Call for Desperate Measures. But first, a prayer. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus in the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen. I ain't gonna lie. Um, I did not have, when I got up today, I did not have any ideas as to what to talk about for today. And I had listened to one of Father Bernard Utley's uh, talks at the Fatima Conference in 2015. We're talking seven years ago. But I was in the middle of my purse this afternoon and it occurred to me and I just, the thought, the thoughts kept flooding me. And because I, you know, I do believe in what I say and I talk about divine providence all the time, that this was something that needed to be addressed before I could forget because Monday I'd actually had an idea while I was doing my prayers and I kind of said, well, I'll wait till I finish them. And then when I finished my prayers, the idea was gone. I'm not going to make that mistake today. And after it happened, I kind of made a, uh, I kind of made a, uh, uh, an intention for myself that when this sort of thing happens, that if I have the time, I'm going to either write down what I, the idea, or I'm just going to, as we say in America, strike while the fire is hot. Now, the reason for the title of this episode, anybody, even on a surface level, you know, and when I say surface level, those of you who are regular listeners to this podcast know that to me, there's the surface level take and then there's the spiritual take. And even on a natural, non-spiritual understanding, anybody with two eyes in their brain stems know the times we're living in and it's bad. It's, it's, it's bad right now. It's going to get absolutely unimaginable, unimaginably bad, but it's bad right now. Now, on a spiritual level, it's getting critical. 
There's a re I I like I said I believe in divine providence and the reason I believe that Father uh, uh, Father Bernard has made such an impact on me is because I, I'm just gonna put it out there and um, since I don't think any set of accountants actually listen to this, it ain't gonna matter. But I'm going to say what I, you know. I'm not going to change who I am. I say things as I see them. Father uh, Father Bernard is a prophet for our times. An absolute modern day prophet. Because he's calling stuff that even before I started listening, or I listened to what little was out there that he had said, he was saying stuff that I could see. And... Before people get it twisted and say, well, wait a minute, you're new. I'm not denying that the man has forgotten more about the spiritual life than I, unless God's grace fills me to the brim, than I am ever going to know. But even from my own limited understanding, he was saying stuff that I was like, because, and I'm, I'm going to be flat out honest, I have never heard, and granted, I'm going to be honest again and say, um, not that I was totally committed to my course of action at that point, but um, I'd never heard any other set of a contest, never mind layman, priest, prelate, talk about I've never heard them talk and he was saying these things that I could see even with my own limited understanding and commitment and there's a reason that I'm coming across very intensely because this is important now because I just got, got done saying I don't think many said contests listen to me not that well it is kind of important but this is not, this is not, uh, this is not for my glorification. It isn't. This is about doing the will of God as I understand it. And this message is important. Now, seven years ago, he was saying this stuff for whatever reason. And I've uh, consumed a lot of set of content it, uh, apparently, apparently, on a surface level, his message is not getting out. On a surface level. Um, on, on a spiritual level, that's God's divine providence. And I cannot, I cannot, um, you know, I, I, God's divine providence is above my pay. It's above everybody's. Hey, great, quite honestly, unless you're a saint. Now, I, I'm not trying to say that there aren't saints out there. But what I'm saying is, is in I believe in this desperate times that we live in, that these saints are relatively unknown and they're working in obscurity. So what they are saying or 
What I'm trying to say is, is, is that on the surface level, his message has not seemed, and you know, for those of you who need appeals to authority, the man was a Sedvacantist monk for over 20 years before he gave those talks in 2015. And apparently nobody's taking the man seriously. Because on the surface level, it doesn't seem that anyone's listening. Now, on a secular level, there are people who, in their own right, have called things, you know, pretty much before they happened. If, if, if they got ignored and forgotten, that's for secular secular uh, idea or whatever, it's not important, not in a larger scheme of things. However, we are dealing with the spiritual life, which is as far as the soul is concerned, life or death, heaven or hell. And... Um, I got to choose my words carefully here because I do not want my message to be misconstrued or turned off because people think that I'm some sort of nutcase. But we, especially prelates, and I do understand that Prelates are regular human beings like myself, and they're doing the best job that they can with what they've been given. So this is not a personal um, this is not a personal, for lack of a better term, attack. This is not a person. This is a, an observation given with urgency. Because it's urgent. We had Father Bernard back in 2015 warning about this. And it's coming to a head. Whether you recognize it or not, it does not matter. And I do understand, like I said, that these prelates, they're doing the best they can with what they got. But this is imperative that we that, 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 that this issue because there are souls at stake and honestly you know if our Lord and Savior himself said in the book of Matthew don't worry about those who can kill the body but worry about the, uh, the person that could send you to heaven or hell then if you're living, if you're worried about your life, your, your physical life here on earth, you got your priorities screwed up. Sorry, that's the bottom line. Your priorities are screwed up. And I'm, I'm literally putting this out there with a hope and a prayer that God's will 
we'll make something happen out of this. Whether, whether for good or for ill. Oh, I have to back up a little bit. This is not for my personal glorification. I operate pretty much on anonymity anyway as it stands. Because this is on purpose. This is on purpose. Um, I'm trying to get the word out there as I understand, you know, as I understand God's will, what my understanding of what he wants me to put out here. Having said that, um, I don't, on a natural level, on a natural level, uh, on a purely secular level, it would appear that my situation is, for lack of a better term, on a secular level, hopeless. Because I don't think any Sedvacantists listen to this. And I darn sure know that our prelates and our priests are too busy, you know, to listen to some obscure podcast by some rando dude that they don't even know. So, you know, on, on, on a purely um, surface level, it appears hopeless. But I firmly believe that if this is God's will, it will get out there one way or the other. Now, before I get in the meat of what I'm going to be talking about, um, I want to give my understanding of God's divine providence as I understand it. And it is this. When God's divine providence is not worrying about the things that we have no control over. If you stub your toe, you have no control over that. If your kid breaks your favorite Mother Mary statue, that's divine providence. You have no control over that. If you go into work and a co-worker says something rude and inconsiderate, that's divine providence. You have no control over it. Along with that, though, part of his divine providence is actually trying to change the things that we can change. But the, the, the key component to that is, is we have to submit ourselves to God's will and be willing instruments of it. Now, I also want to make clear because I'm so new to this, because on the surface level, I have no business talking about this. And I, I believe Father Utley may have pointed this point out, but I, I'm, not a hun I'm not infallibly certain. As long as our intentions are pure, even if they're not perfect, if, they're, if, if our intentions are good, then God is not going to ding us for making mistakes. The thing that's important is, is that we have the right intention. And as near as I can tell, I have the right intention when I do these episodes. Like I said, anyone who's listened to previous podcasts, am I a perfect person? Obviously not. 
Obviously not. So, um, um, but that is my understanding of divine providence. We accept the things we cannot change, but we change the things we can. And along with that is, is first we start with ourselves, then we, we work outside of ourselves. Now, the reason I said de desperate times call for desperate measures is we, we um, I hate quoting secular podcasters, but it is true. We're at a tipping point. And it's getting absolutely desperate. Now, what I was thinking about this afternoon is I'm trying to get as many uh, traditional Catholic books as I can. And honestly, if I have my way, I, I would get as many as I can. And there's a reason for that. However, one of the major issues I'm having is, and um, this also came up when I listened to Father Utley's talk from 2015, is he recommended Theology and Sanity by Frank Sheed. Now, he specifically said, do not get the 1970s reprint. If you can possibly help it, get the 1940s first edition. And he said it made a huge impact on him. Now, I had already had this book on my list. But once he said that, I spent an hour last night looking for the, the 1940s reprint, or I'm sorry, not reprint, 1940s edition, and I could only find one source. Now, granted, an hour is not enough time to do an exhaustive research. I'm only one man. I, you know, I can only do what I can do. I only found one place that sells his 1940s copy. Now, I have not ordered it yet for the simple fact that um, my resources are limited. And I got it once again. I have to do things as um, I can. But, there, but there's a deeper issue here. In previous episodes, I have mentioned that ostensibly traditional Catholic catechisms, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of, although, honestly speaking, given the era we live in, um, there are probably others that have heresies in them. Not purposeful ones now, because that was another thing that he talked about, that there's a lot of people, like myself, who are doing the best they can, but because they lack proper teaching and proper guidance, that 
they're heading in the wrong direction. The reason I bring this up is, is because if I had not heard when I was in the Vatican II sect about the heresy of Americanism and how it was in the Vatican II documents, when I read that particular section in the catechism, it's called My Catholic Faith, and it, this, it's the section that deals with our relationship to the government. I would have been fooled into thinking that serving this Masonic-run government that we have here in America and, and designed government, that I was fulfilling my Catholic duty. Now, obviously, that's a falsehood because Masonism, up until Vatican II, has been denounced. In no uncertain terms. So giving the government my full support outside of paying what's due to it, like my taxes, is not, you know, I, the, my understanding of my, my understanding is giving it anything other than grudging and I I'm literally mean grudging support is actually going against God and the one true Catholic Church. Now, the reason I brought up theology and sanity was is that if we have, if I have to do this kind of search and I only come up with meager results, and one result after an hour's worth of research is meager at best. Then what about the other Catholic? And, and not to mention, I've also mentioned in my previous episodes, I've come across um, traditional Catholic books that had the airs of eucumicism, eucumicism in them, and these were written in the late 19, or I'm sorry, 1800s. I've mentioned they call Protestants, literal heretics, brothers in Christ. That, that, that was denounced at the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent says Protestantism is a heresy. Why are you calling heretics brothers in Christ? And this was not 1960. These books were written in the late to 1800s. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is, as said of Acontis, maybe we had this reason in the 1960s when the Masons basically infiltrated and took over the Catholic Church in 1960. We're talking 60 years ago. Now, this is why I was very careful to state that this is not, this is absolutely not a criticism of any of the prelates or clergy in the Sedmacontist Church. But we're talking 60 years ago. And there are certain, there are certain um, prelates who are holding on to a erroneous thesis that somehow a bunch of heretics are going to depose a heretical pope 
and some traditionalist is going to take over and restore the Catholic Church to its original truth and beauty. The reason I call it erroneous is, is even on a natural level, never mind a spiritual level, that's not, at least as, as far as it appears to me, that's not a tenable idea. So, I understand what I'm about to suggest is going to sound um, at best outlandish, at worst, probably um, erroneous, because I don't think it's necessarily heretical. And what I'm about ready to suggest is, I did an episode within the past couple of weeks where I said, we need to start setting up an underground church. Part of this is, is that we... The only white knight we're going to have is Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When he comes back to, to punish the devil and his minions, by that point, it's going to be too late. The reason I am uh, mentioning the prelates in particular you don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to be a saint to understand that when St. Paul writes his epistles in the New Testament and he says um, that bishops are the overseers of men's souls, that we all have free will. We all have free will. So if a bishop or a priest gives a sermon showing people the right way to live, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm not trying to suggest in any way, shape, or form that this is not the case. As a matter of fact, I've also done previous episodes where I said, if you need an appeal to authority, nothing that I've said since November contradicts anything that any set of conscious priest or bishop has already said. But I've heard, I've heard, um, a set of conscious priests and clergy make the, the, the argument that, well, we don't have a magisterium and we can't we can't do we, 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 we can't do things on our own steam. In other words, we can't make it up as we go along like our Protestant Vatican II friends. Now I'm going to make a two-pronged argument against that argument. Number one, we are on we are on I'm sorry, we are in uncharted waters. Now, the Our Lady of Good Success prophesied Vatican II. For whatever reason, a lot of people seem unaware of that. Our Lady of Lost Salette prophesied about these days and era we live in, but nobody bothered to listen to that. Everybody took the surface view that, well, Jesus Christ promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. That's a surface view. They never considered the fact that Satan and his minions might be on the surface 
be able to attack the surface areas of the Catholic Church, meaning our institutions. But I'm a firm believer, and this is also backed up by, you know, I've heard Sedvacantus priests make this argument. The whole Sedvacantus movement is God himself making an adjustment saying, okay, it's time to move away from that. And it's time that we follow my spirit and not rely on the surface things. Also talked about that issue. The second argument I would make against that is as prelates, and this is addressed, well, not just prelates, but priests as well. You're responsible for people's souls. Now, a bishop has a greater responsibility, which is why I'm aiming this at a bishops. We, we are in uncharted waters. And basically, we're trying to be led by the Spirit of God. So what the Catholic Church did prior to 1960 it, obviously, this, uh, as we say in America, the, the script has been flipped. What worked in the 1700s, the 1500s, the 1200s, the 500s is not necessarily going to work for today. We are living in the time and era for a reason. And I've said this as well. We are to be led by the Spirit of God. So therefore... What I'm about ready to suggest, this is the reason I don't feel it's heretical, is that the, the, the way we used to do things is not going to suffice for the times we live in. And if you believe in divine providence as strongly as I do, this is God's divine providence. He wants to see our zeal for souls. He wants to see our zeal on a personal level for us, how, how serious we are. Now, I will say this, and I'm including myself very much in this comment I'm about ready to make, is that we are, in today's day and age, an unserious people. I was telling a co-worker at work, and I've also said this in a couple of episodes, that in, in, at least in America, there's this general attitude that when somebody says something, like, let's just say you're in a bar and some drunk walks up to you and says, I'm going to punch you in the face. We tend to dismiss it because so often people say stuff that they literally do not mean. And that's why you get the shock. When somebody says, man, I'm going to slug you and you hit them first. What you hit me for? Well, you just got done saying you were going to hit me. It was a preemptive strike. Well, I didn't mean it. Well, if you don't mean it, don't say it. It's really a simple concept. But not many people get it. So, when I... You know, we, we have this tendency, we're very unserious. We say things we don't mean, and we don't take people seriously when they say something. Now, even before I decided to get serious about this, I always 
I take people at their word. If you say you're going to do something, unless you do, you know, the opposite, I'm going to take you at your word. So when Barack Obama back in 2008 said, we're going to fundamentally transform the United States, not that it really needed any transition or uh, or uh, transformation, I took him at his word. And all the normie cons were running around. He said it. He, he told you. When Klaus Schwab says, you're going to eat bugs, you're going to live in the pod, and you're going you're gonna to live in the Masonic world and love it, I take the man at his word. These guys are serious. Now, obviously, we have to use our common, our common reason, as it said, that, you know, um, people that we know, you know, we adjust our approach to the people we know to the people that we don't know. My general overall approach is if I don't know somebody, I take them up at their word. And I don't care if it's Klaus Schwab and I don't care if it's some rando homeless person that wanders into where I work. To order a sandwich. I do, it doesn't matter. I take people at their word. And that all goes back to divine providence. The reason I'm saying this is. Is that. Our duties as a, a true Catholic. Not the, not the uh, LARPers. Pretending to be Catholics in the Vatican II sect. Now. I know that that sounds uncharitable on the surface, but let me explain where I'm coming from here and then make up your own mind. If these people were serious about Jesus Christ, the Blessed Mother in the Heavenly Kingdom, and serving them, and they see the garbage that goes on in the Vatican II sect, but still stay in it, I've got it on a surface level now. I don't, I don't need to know them personally. If they're willing to make excuse the inexcusably on a surface level, I could just, you know, they, they, they might be the nicest people in the world. I've also said this. They might be the nicest people have the best intent, but how serious can they be about Jesus Christ, his blessed mother in the heavenly kingdom? If they're staying in, in, in a sect, a literal sect with the with the heresies and blasphemies that are committed on a daily basis. How serious can they be? But we as said of a contest are called to a higher standard. Okay? Like it or not, we're called to a higher... We are to set the example. Now... You know, I, I know, I know, I've ranted and railed about the faults and frailties of my fellow set of contests. And, and all due justice, they've also pointed out my faults and failings. Some of it correct and some of it not correct. But God... God and his blessed mother have given me enough grace 
that when, when, when my errors and my shortcomings are blatant and out there, that when I get corrected, they allow me to see those and I do my best to make adjustments. But the reason I'm talking about books in particular is very pertinent to what I'm talking about. And if your average set of a contest, and you got to factor in the free will into this. You just have to. It's a matter of necessity. If they are getting bad material because our priests and prelates are saying, well, this was good in 1940. It's pre-Vatican II. So it's good. And, and these materials are erroneous. There's a reason why books prior to Vatican II needed a censor's approval. For this very reason. Because I want you to think back to your catechism. The Catholic Church is not supposed to recommend or give you materials that may be hazardous to your spiritual health. And that's literally what we're doing. Now you may say, he's fooling himself saying that the, the uh, material written in the late uh, 1800s had the air of acumicism and, and that our, our, our catechisms in America don't decry uh, uh, the heresy of Americanism. I'm not, I'm not going to make, I, I'm not going to, to apologize for that. It's the truth. And what makes it even sadder is if a person is relatively inexperienced as myself, and I've never claimed to be a, 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 a theologian or a scholar, can see blatant errors and, uh, blatant errors and heresies in materials written before Vatican II, and by the way, I'm just going to put this out there. I will go before any, any board of inquiry that wants to happen and wants to question me. And I will show them the materials that I'm talking about. And I will challenge those uh, prelates or priests, whoever they may be, and say, okay, read this passage and tell me, tell me where, where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm wrong. If you, if you can give me a reasonable Catholic explanation why that passage is in there, and don't tell me that it's hasty judgment, or uh, I'm sorry, I keep saying that, rash judgment. Don't tell me it's rash judgment, because it isn't. Ecumenism was denounced by the Council of Trent. When you call, you know, and the intentions don't matter. The intentions... If, if I have the best intentions of the world and I, I, I call my, my prior Protestant uh, pastors brothers in Christ, it doesn't matter that, you know, 
I recognize the fact that they're heretics, but I'm trying to be charitable. It doesn't matter. They, we have a teaching from a legitimate church council that says they're heretics and you're supposed to denounce them as such. So, uh, this is not rash judgment on my part. I, I will be willing to live and die on this, on, on what I understand. I'm willing to live or die on, on what I understand because on, on, you know, that's, that's another thing we do as moderns too, is we've got to make everything deeper than it has to be. Now, I do understand that Catholic theology being what it is, is, is nuanced and is pretty deep. For that matter, so is reading the Bible. Now, what I would point out, what I would point out to anyone who wants to come at me on this issue, Saint Jerome, our translator of the Vulgate, said that sacred scripture is shallow enough that a child can understand it, but deep enough that the learned and the blessed uh, spiritually can ponder its mysteries. I'm not making that up out of the top of my head. That is a well-known quote of his. Now, unless somebody can prove to me that somehow or another this is a Vatican II invention, he never said that, I'm going to go with that. And given my experience as a Catholic, I would say that, yeah, that's true. And so is Catholic theology. Now, um, I have stated to another set of a contest that, and I might have even stated it in a previous episode, that Catholic theology, for the most part, now, on stuff like the Trinity, the transubstantiation, those are literal mysteries of the faith. And for a person such as myself, as long as the traditional Catholic church, church teaches it, as long as they teach it, that's good enough for me. But on, on stuff that has to do with matters of dogma, it should be understandable if it's for the salvation of my soul that I should be able to understand it. This is not something I'm making up either. It, it, is, it is scattered throughout the, the church teachings. And by the way, I'm under no illusion that I'm 150 IQ super genius. But if I'm a relatively uneducated person can understand the concept when this teaching was promulgated that prior, let's just say conservatively, the 1700s, that prior to the 1700s, your average uh, churchgoer, peasant, was ill-educated and illiterate, literally, in the literal sense of the term. They could neither write nor read. And that's why that church teaching was promulgated. So that your average, uh, oh, 
the reason I brought up my relatively lack of education, uh, not that this would ever happen, but if God chose to pluck me out of the 21st century and drop me into a medieval village of the 1300s, the fact that I could read or read and write, if they could even bother to understand me, I, I would appear uh, the wisest of the wisest men. Well, outside of Thomas Aquinas, but how many peasants in the 13th century outside of, of their bishops or, or a priest teaching them would have much, much uh, experience with Thomas Aquinas. I'm just making a point. So if they're teaching that the lowliest of the lowly should be able to understand Catholic dogma on a base level, how much of this is going to apply to today's era? Now, it took me 45 minutes to get to where I'm going. I, along the lines of we need to form an underground church, we need to let go of our sentimentality. And when I say sentimentality, sentimentality can cover to cover a multitude of ideas. One of the ideas it covers is, well, this is the way it's always, there's a difference between tradition with a capital T and tradition with a small t. Using the word ejaculation for explanatory, exclamatory prayer, that's, that's because that's the way it's always be done and we don't want people to mistake us for the Vatican II church. That's, that's sentimentality and that's tradition with a small t. Like it or not, people do not speak in uh, 16th century English. Like it or not, people do not use in polite conversation the word ejaculatory. They don't. You may not like it. You might think I'm a wild-eyed heretic, 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 but they don't. That's a small T tradition. Capital T tradition are the dogmas of the church. Those do not change. But I would also say, given the extraordinary, and when I say extraordinary, I'm not using this term lightly. We have been without the magisterium and a pope for over 60 years. This is not me being hyperbolic. We are literally in uncharted waters. So we have to change our approach. I beg and beseech you people, if anybody hears this, I invite you, I invite you, have, uh, give this episode to your local bishop, if he said of the contest, of course. And I will go before any board or body and I will defend to the death what I am saying. Because we are dealing with people's souls. If they're not being taught correctly, their souls are in jeopardy. This is not my interpretation. 
This is the understanding of the Catholic Church prior to Vatican II. This is why we have censors. Which brings me to my, my point. I, I firmly believe that we are going to need for the upcoming times to literally form an underground church and not the LARPers in China that are Vatican II. I'm talking about literally an underground church that's set of a conscious, true Catholic. And I strongly, I beg and beseech you, bishops, please, please understand what I'm trying to tell you. I know that resources are short. I know this. They absolutely are short. The, um, you know, Jesus himself, when he was preaching his gospel, said the, the, the multitude is vast, but the laborers are few. That, that's been a thing throughout church history. I understand this. But for the love of that is all that is holy, we have to change our approach and we have to prepare for the time that's coming. You know, we can't be satisfied with the status quo. We can't be satisfied. Well, this is how it's always been done. We have to adjust our approach. So my suggestion in lines with preparing an underground church is we need, and this obviously, this would be up to the bishops. They're the ones, they're the ones that are in charge of, at least in my case, the CMRI, but there are other several seven of conscious organizations. We have to, we have to get some sort of committee. And I know we're talking about a Herculean task here, but we have got to form our own sensors to remove the erroneous and heretical material that is in pre-Vatican II uh, books that regular set of contests are reading. And if at all possible, and this is only if all possible, we need people to go through uh, regular books. When I say regular, I don't mean regular books. I mean spiritual teachings and for that matter, church doctrine books that were written between 1700 and 1960. Now, I know that sounds like a Herculean task, and I have thought about this. I have. When, when the disciples came with Jesus and they said, well, who can be saved? He said, with men, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. We have to at least make the attempt. And before I close this out, I want to say something. Why are we split up? Why? And I've stated this in other episodes. Why at, at my count, there's possibly more because you have the wildcat priests, traditional priests. Why are we separated when we, when we all agree that Vatican II is heretical? When I gave my previous podcast telling 
layman said of a contest, we need to band together. I'm also talking about organizations too. If we can take as our baseline that Vatican II is heretical, that that's the only thing that needs to be our baseline for right now. Whatever comes of it, comes of it is divine providence. But if we can agree to that, we need to unite. Because I'm telling you right now, the only reason that the infant church uh, lived through its infancy, besides God's divine providence, was the fact that it was united in purpose. If we are not united in purpose, the minions of Satan are going to cut us up and chop us into little pieces. And me personally, I don't fear martyrdom. I don't. But I'm talking spiritually as well. Because a lot of people get it twisted. They think, well, you know, I could die. Well, that's your purpose. To die for the faith. You may not like it. That's your purpose. To promulgate, to preach, and to believe, and to die if necessary for the faith. That is our basic that is our basic uh, bottom line as soldiers of the heavenly kingdom. So, if necessary, this is, you know, this is what hit me this afternoon. You take it for what it's worth. We need to have a council of all Sedvacantus organizations. And we need to come under. I'm not saying we need to have a new pope. Okay. We don't need, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a canon lawyer and I'm not a theologian, but I'm saying we don't necessarily need a Pope, but what we do need is a statement bringing together all set of organizations under the same purpose and principle. Now, I realize how this is coming across to a lot of people on a surface level, they're going to say, well, who is this guy? He's, he's an ill-educated layman who just barely woke up spiritually. What, what, what does he know? He doesn't know what we know. That could very well be true. I'm only, the purpose of this podcast is for me to put out there what God has given to me. You take it for what it's worth. And, I'm no saint. I've never claimed to be one. That's why I'm willing to be examined by whoever wishes to examine me. I am willing to do that. I have not had a vision. I have, you know, Mother Mary did not come down to me in an apparition. The, the Holy Ghost didn't come down in an apparition. St. Michael and St. Raphael didn't come to me in a, you know. These, this is what God has put into me. And I feel like he wants me to put this out there. So that's what I'm doing. Like every other set of contests who takes this faith seriously, I'm doing the best I have, I can with what I'm giving. And I'm trying to be obedient as I can be. But this is going to be This is going to be 
it probably won't be my last warning because I don't know what God is going to give me. But for this episode, I, I, I beg and beseech anybody who said of a conscious within the range of this podcast, please take this seriously. Things are going to get unimaginably. And when I say unimaginably, that's not hyperbole. That is God's honest truth. I told a set of a conscious friend of mine that what is coming is going to make the pagan persecutions at the beginning of the infant church look like a warm bath on a Saturday night. Please consider what I'm saying. And by the way, it's not me saying it. God is using me as his very broken and very blunt instrument. But please consider the message that I'm trying to put out there. Because um, I have nothing to gain. And I've always said this. I have nothing to gain with these podcasts. Absolutely nothing. I'm unknown. Uh, you know, from a surface level, everything that I'm doing shouldn't even be making a dent in people's minds. But I'm not worried about that. I believe that there's a purpose and a reason for what I'm doing. So I humbly beg and beseech you, please, consider what I'm saying. Because... Your spiritual life is the most important thing that you have. If you lose it, you can't get it back. If you wind up in hell, it is too late. It is absolutely too late at that point. Like the demons that are going to be with you in hell, your will will be fixed. Anyway, um... I'm going to close this out. Give me a second. <sighs> Thanks for uh, being patient. Uh, I was running out of time and um, the app I'm on gives me an hour and a half, but I get 60 minutes and then at, toward the end of 60 minutes, I have to switch over and record a second part, which I get about 30 minutes. So in closing, I've been accused of being monocle, monomaniacal. And for those of you who don't understand that term, basically I've been accused of having a fanatical one track mind. And I've covered this in a previous episode. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. I absolutely want to get to heaven and I want as many people to get to heaven with me as possible if, if I'm blessed enough to get into heaven. Don't want to be presumptuous. But there, um, I can think, you know, to be, to be monomaniacal about football or uh, women or um, a comic book or a video game or a movie or whatever, to me, that's, that's illogical. Because ultimately, what you consume while you are on, 
on earth has absolutely nothing to do with getting to heaven. And I will give credit where credit is due. One of my Protestant pastors, when I was a Protestant, tried to get me to see that. Now, obviously, being a Protestant, he was wrong. But his message wasn't wrong. I only wish that God had given me the grace at that time to understand just what he was trying to get at. If you cannot be monomaniacal about getting to heaven and about getting your family to heaven at a very, at the most basic rate, then um, I pray that God will give you the grace to understand just how important that is. Because I think a lot of uh, a lot of people don't understand that our life does not consist of just being on earth and existing. It consists of eternity, either in heaven or hell. And God is not mean when he tosses us into hell. He's not a tyrant. He's he he's not, you know. When he puts people in hell, it's because they deserve, not only deserve to be there, but because they've also rejected his offer of salvation. So I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm, I, I've never, um, I've never apologized for anything that I truly believe in. Now I will be honest enough to admit that, um, that I I have been committed to things that did not matter in the larger scheme of things. But God gave me the grace to recognize that these things don't matter and this is what matters, which is, like I said, I have nothing to gain by doing what I do. And by the way, um, you know, my podcast is not my only social media platform. I do this on Pinterest and I do this on Tumblr. You know, so, but I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, this is going to be slightly over an hour. And if you stuck with me for this long, even if you think I'm an absolute lunatic or heaven forbid, an absolute heretic, um, thank you for listening anyway. Thank you for listening. I don't take this for granted. And even if you violently disagree with me, that's okay. You gave me your time, and I want to thank you for that in all sincerity. I've always operated, even before I got serious about uh, true Catholicism, that um, if, uh, if you listen to me, even if you think I'm a wild-eyed a-hole... <laughs> That's okay. You listened. You know, what what you do with it is up to you. I uh, I pray for everyone in my life, whether indirectly or indirectly. And I also pray in general for people in the world in at large. And maybe this needs to be said. I kind of think 
I, I kind of, sometimes I forget. I get in my own little zone and I forget that I'm dealing with people. I'm not in the habit of saying things. And the reason I'm saying this is, is I had to explain this to my manager. Um, I'm not in the habit of saying things I don't believe. I'm not in the habit of saying things I don't mean. I'm not in the habit of doing things that I'm not 100% you know, convinced are necessary. So you can take it for what it's worth, but I would really like to see as many people as possible get to heaven. Now, we have free will, and even, even, if um, things seem hopeless and people think, you know, how am I going to get to heaven? It's impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Ask for the grace. If you have the right intention, you will receive it. That I, I, I have in the past said that we're all individuals and God deals with us as individuals. As a general principle, that is true. But one principle that is unchanging is if you have the right intention and ask for God's grace, he will give it to you. Even if you're like me and you started out as a heretical Protestant. And one other thing I want to get to. Um, By all rights, if this was just a random world where there was no God or he wasn't a personal God, blah, 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 blah. By all rights, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And given my spiritual state, I've just been thinking, you know, um, I... God gives me the grace sometimes of showing me stuff. One of the things he showed me, and this this stuck with me. Of course, I'm not the most subtle person, as you can tell. Was that when I went to that Protestant church back in the 90s, by all rights, it should have ended there. If God did not love me, if God did not care about me, it should have ended right there. But he gave me the grace to understand that he loves me and he wants me to be his. He wants me to be a part of him. And. Over, you know, this this happened when I was in my 30s, I, I'd forgotten that. But he, you know, by all rights, if because I had no intention you know, like I said, I don't say things I don't mean and I don't, you know, I, I will use hyperbole to make a point, but I don't use hyperbole when I'm talking about experiences unless I want to make a ridiculous point. But he, I was an absolute enemy of God. I was an absolute at every and all levels his enemy. And yet he still had the love and grace to show me that it didn't have to be that way.
And it, it, that's all I can attribute my conversion to is his grace. Because under any other circumstances, I would have never left the path that I was on. Um, there's a heavy metal group called Wasp that was big in the 80s. And they had a line from one of their songs that said, Die in chain like a, oh, I'm sorry, die in vain like a wild dog in chains. And nobody can ever save or set you free. And that was basically my outlook. That I was basically going to, you know, that I was going to die and go to hell. And there was no saving me. And because I don't, I don't claim to be a saint. And even amongst the saints, I don't believe that all of them understand God's divine providence completely. I could be wrong, but um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the case. But so I can't, I can't explain to you guys what uh, God's purpose was. And as Father D. Kassad says, it's not my job to understand God's will. It's my job to do it obediently and um, faithfully as best as I can. But until I entered, well, even, no, I will say until I entered that church, I was a literal and utter, utter nihilist in the, the, in the actual, the, the direct sense of the term. For those of you who don't know what a nihilist is, is basically um, they, they view life as hopeless and pointless and there's no purpose and meaning in their life and they're just going to die. Now, some of them are atheists and they think, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to get buried and be worm food. Others know that there's a God and just tacitly accept that they're God's enemy and they're going to hell anyway. I was literally a nihilist. And I was in absolute desperate straits. But God in his love and his mercy showed, gave me, gave me mercy, gave me love which on a personal note, I needed more than anything else in the world. And speaking only for myself, I can tell you, I can absolutely tell you that once you've experienced God's love and grace, even if you have to stumble and bumble your way through life, the things of this world just will never, never satisfy you. The love of another human being cannot even come close. Now, I do understand some of my audience may be married or have girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever. But I'm only speaking from my point. Um. Anyway. 
I mean what I say when I, when I say that I want to see as many people get to heaven as possible. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. God bless you. Bye-bye.